Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. This is episode number six. And uh, today we're going to have a conversation with a very special guest, Dr. Craig Gurley. Um, Hey, Craig, welcome to Step Into the Story. Thank you very much. And uh, Craig, you and I have what I would describe as a secondhand, um, non-optional friendship. Uh, My wife and your wife have been um, best friends on and off the depth of how much they're in each other's lives, but their friendship goes back pretty close to 50 years to like middle school uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, then when Debbie and you got married and Ellen and I got married, there was pretty much no choice given to either of us that we would be friends. Um, is that is that pretty consistent with the way you remember it? Well, everything except the age factor. There's no way that you or I could be that old. Well, that's true. I don't know why that math doesn't add up. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. anybody who's played basketball with us recently knows we're not a day over um, 35 or yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, anyway, um, you are a physician. Um, where did you get your training? Uh, well, it, it will reveal my schizophrenia in that I went to Duke undergrad and then Chapel Hill for medical school. Whoa, I've but heard I've been, of a house divided, but you are a person divided. What is basketball season like for you? Uh, it is another episode of schizophrenia, but medication is working pretty well, however. <laughs> <laughs> it is very difficult. Oh, man. Okay, so um, undergrad at Duke, med school, Chapel Hill, and um, then where did you do your residency? I did my residency, and um, I started my residency in family practice in Charlotte at the Carolinas Medical Center. But then after a couple of years of great unhappiness as a family practice doctor, I switched into obstetrics. And that was at my wife's urging because I would come back after being up all night delivering babies and full of joy. Wow. It was very, it was very, and then I realized looking back that I was full of joy because my parents were missionaries in Brazil and my mother died in, in childbirth. Wow. The birth of my, the birth of my brother. So she died when she was 25, and my dad was there in Brazil with two little kids. And um, I think ever since then, I've been wanting to help out women who might be in some sort of obstetrical danger, and it's just a joy. Wow. So um, you all don't know Craig like I know Craig. He is a genuinely humble person. And Craig, I'm going to probably make you real uncomfortable Um, because I'm going to make you talk about yourself a little bit. And if you don't volunteer this information, people will hear my version of it, which will be probably even more glowing than yours would be. Um, But let's go back to, say, the year 2010. Um, Describe your life, um, your practice um, there in Charlotte. Um, How's life going in 2010 for you? 2010 going great. I mean, um, I was at the top of my game. I was one of the senior doctors in my OBGYN group. Um, 
getting bonuses regularly, being listed in the top doctor magazines, having been nominated for Physician Communicator of the Year in a, I don't know, 1,500 to 2,000 doctor system. Um, and I was loving life. It was it was awesome. The kids were growing up and everything was going well. So um, what does Physician Communicator of the year mean? What is, what is that designed to honor? Well, it's basically uh, surveys are taken of patients um, before and after their doctor visits. And so we're rated on a scale of, you know, X percentage up to 100. So I would consistently get ratings of 95 to 100 for my ability to be a good listener um, figure out their problems, make um, make diagrams to explain their medical situation, and then come up with uh, corrections to get them well again, uh, whatever situation the patients were in. And I was consistently really good at that, and the patients gave me great feedback. And I guess they looked at all the data through all the, the huge hospital system, and I was one of the few that got nominated. Yeah, knowing you like I do, um, I'm zero percent surprised by that. I mean, you are you are a genuine servant leader. You've um, I've been with you in several different settings. Um, you know, you're also voted like the most loved member up at Grandfather Mountain Country Club um, because you know the names of every staff member when we're walking around up there and. Um, all of that is consistent. So, I mean, if we were to summarize it, you, 2010, you're highly successful in your career. Um, you're well-respected. But in addition to that, you're loved and um, loved by patients, loved by coworkers, um, most likely by nurses and, and other health professionals. Um, yeah, even my children love me. Well, nice, nice. How about your <laughs> wife? Can we throw her in there too? <laughs> It depends on the day. Yeah, well, that that goes for <laughs> yeah. all of us, doesn't it? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, so, um, so life life is good. Um, fast forward to I think it was August fourteenth, twenty twelve. Um, a lot of things changed that day. Tell us about that day. Well, it's interesting because uh, yes, a lot of things changed that day. But the month before, I had started working halftime because things were going so well. And I had just at the end of July gotten a big bonus check. And I remember showing, surprising Debbie, I showed her the check. And I said, you know, this is really, really working well doing halftime. We are going to do great. We're going to have no, uh, we're going to have no money worries. We're going to be able to take a bunch of great trips and I'm not going to be tired all the time. Um, and everything was just awesome. Mm -hmm. And then I went out to play tennis in the afternoon of August 14th of 2012. And as I was playing, I had a seizure in my left arm. Um, medic came, went to the emergency room, continued to have a seizure in my left arm, which is pretty much indicative of a brain tumor. Um, but I did not have a brain tumor. I had a, a bleed on the surface of my brain, which was only a few drops of blood. 
But as a result of that, I was could not go to the operating room again. I could not deliver babies again. I was technically disabled on seizure medication. And all the plans that I had made were pretty much gone, except being able to work just in the office part-time with none of the fulfillment that I had gotten before. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it was a real crisis. And, you know, I was out of work for three months, came back, um, uh, and just, you know, puttered around the office. I did not feel like the big cog on the wheel like I had been before. And it was a really difficult time. So, um, I mean, that's eight years ago. What's been the ongoing physical effects of that? Well, I mean, you would look at me and think there was nothing wrong. Um, right. And But I have to be extremely careful now about even about lifting weights. Uh, any kind of holding my breath, uh, any kind of climbing to high altitudes, that's out. Uh, I cannot be sleep deprived because I could have another seizure. Um, my uh, paychecks have dwindled dramatically. Fortunately, I had some disability insurance, but this was a really, this was a big ego problem. And uh, I really thought you know, what's going to happen when I don't get these accolades anymore and the patients forget about me and I, how I, you know, delivered their baby and prayed over their baby at the time of delivery. Um, those people are going to forget about me. And really all I've got left is a few relationships in medicine, but all my partners are working their rears off, uh, making money and being of help to people. And all I've got now is a few friends and and my family, it was, it was devastating. Mm. So, I mean, you lost, you lost a lot that day in a lot of ways. You, you lost a big percentage of your identity, right? Well, I did, uh, but it, it reminded me of when I, when I went off to boarding school in New Hampshire back in the seventies, uh, I arrived at this really high profile school that I knew no one. I was just a little, this little Southern hick. And I remember thinking um, I was so incredibly lonely, I would cry myself to sleep at night for a number of weeks after I got there to this boarding school. And I realized that during that time, well, if, if I never have any friends at this school, at least God loves me. And I got involved in the, um, in the Episcopal Church there, and that was some comfort. And so all of a sudden, it's like I've been thrown down to the ground again, and I look up. And I have to go back to the basics. You know, God loves me. He's going to take care of me, even though this is a place where I am definitely not safe. I realize my fragility. And it was it was a blow. But I did have that bedrock understanding that, um, you know, I had the love of my family and I and I had the love of my God. And fortunately, you know, I had been on sort of a a regular, I had a regular habit of praying the scripture back to God every morning for decades up until the time that that happened. And I have a little book by Ken Boa, who's actually from Atlanta, called Handbook to Prayer, Praying Scripture Back to God. It's a three-month cycle. And so I had been going through that for years and years and years, and actually saying the scripture aloud as I, as I prayed through the book. Uh, and it just all of a sudden these verses started coming back to me like, uh, 
I think it's Psalm 67, where it says, when I, when I remember you, O God, on my bed, I meditate on you through the watches of the night. Because you have been my help, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Mm. You lift me up with your strong right hand when I fall. Wow. Wow. So these verses, you know, they they just started coming back and they and they came alive. And it reminds me of how, you know, we we think we're safe. We think we're invulnerable. Um, it's like David Brooks talks about in his book, The Second Mountain, where the first mountain that we climb in our lives are the mountains is the mountain of achievement, prestige, earning power. Most of us along the way will fall off that mountain. The second mountain we have a chance to climb is the one that is, uh, leads us to significance and uh, deeper rest and deeper understanding of life and what's really important. Hmm. So now I find myself on the second mountain. Um, and, you know, none of this reassurance happened overnight. It was, uh, it was touch and go there for a while. It was really scary. Yeah, as you and I have had conversations through the years, you use a lot of um, present tense, I-N-G type words when you talk about the healing or the learning. Um, you know, Paul used to talk about, I don't consider myself to have achieved or apprehended or laid hold of it, um, but I'm, I'm chasing it. I'm, I'm pursuing that for which God laid hold of me. And um, you... I love that verse. Lest anybody think that this is the story where, you know, and then two months or even two years after this tragedy, everything lived happily ever after. I mean, it's it's still a struggle some days now, correct? I mean, can you can you give an example of the last time that you kind of dived emotionally because of some of these issues? Because I, I think I just think we do a terrible disservice in the church where we draw the Christian life as this linear, you know, always forward, always higher. Um, and especially we do that in America. And then when that's not people's experience, what's your choice? Either you didn't have enough faith, this is why you're struggling, or God isn't who he really claimed to be. And either of those leads to terrible outcomes. So um, what's the last big emotional dive you can remember having, if that's not too personal? Uh well, gosh, where do I start? I mean, it's sort of like I, I go through my personal crises, you know, medical misadventures like my my brain hemorrhage. And then we have the family crises where, uh, you know, my son's almost killed on his motorcycle. Um, we have the COVID thing that's come along. And as a result of that, that's been really hard because I can't practice medicine in person right now. And I realized that if I get COVID myself, it could be devastating because uh, if I'm ever on a on a um, intubated and on a ventilator, I could, you know, this this vein in my head could rupture again, and I could lose the use of my left arm hmm. or not be able to speak again. So, or worse, it's sort of like yeah. we're yeah yeah we're walking on a knife edge all the time, and we really don't know it. Um, 
And, you know, occasionally this punctuation mark will come along where we realize that we have fallen and we're, we're really broken. Um, you know, and, and it's sort of like in the, in the, <laughs> in the Chronicle of Narnia, um, Lucy, who's one of the, one of the children that goes through the wardrobe into the land of Narnia, some, someone asks her one time, what's Aslan like? He's the great rescuer lion. Uh, throughout the whole story, just the, the Christ figure, basically, in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And she said, well, Aslan, the lion, uh, he's not safe, but, but he's good. Yes. And I feel like walking, walking with God through these occasional crises, I realized that actually life is not safe. Uh, and if we go through life, especially with Aslan by our side or Christ as our, uh, at our side, uh, he will experience the lack of safety with us. Mm. But he's always there to lift us up with his strong right hand. And always underneath us are his everlasting arms. That's a beautiful picture. Yeah. So what's, um, how has this changed your, your marriage, your relationship with Deb? <laughs> how many podcasts do you have? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just, we just celebrated, we just celebrated the 40th anniversary of our engagement. So our 40th year of marriage will be coming up in May. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I, when I proposed to her, in Montreat, North Carolina, on a, on a path up the mountain, um, we had no idea that we would encounter wayward children, uh, cancer diagnosis, brain hemorrhage, financial problems. Uh, everything was rosy then. The, uh, you know, there was a time that I remember when I was on call, probably back in the 80s, our marriage was pretty much on the rocks um, because I was just a, not a nice person because I was sleep-deprived all the time. Her brother had just died during mm -hmm. heart surgery. Um, and our marriage was pretty much over, and I went in my bloody scrubs down to the tiny hospital chapel at 3 a.m. and laid down on the floor and just sobbed, asking God to just give me something. Mm -hmm. And I heard no word, you know, no audible word from God that night. But we found some good counselors, Debbie's parents were amazing. We sort of worked through many, many issues. And now I look back on that and those things that we worked through and just by tooth and nails got through sort of to the place where we could understand each other. The, all the things that we went through are now like the most incredible super glue of, of ours together. Um, keeping us together, and it's just such a rich thing to look back on and know that we, it was really, really tough, but we are more in love now than ever, mm. and it's really surprising because we could have, things could have been fractured so many times, but I think underneath us, we had the bedrock of knowing that uh, there was, there was a power involved in our marriage that was far greater than the two of us. Yeah, just uh, a week ago today, the four of us had dinner um, sitting outside at a restaurant up in Charlotte. You all have provided Ellen's home away from home when she goes up to visit her dad in his assisted living place up there. And 
that's provided more regular opportunities to to be engaged. And then once a year, had to skip this year, but up at Grandfather Mountain, um, getting to share the word in a, a chapel by the lake up there and spending a few days with you all. Um, I don't know many couples who are more different from each other than you and Deb, just in terms of basic wiring. And, you know, like they say, <laughs> opposites attract and then spend the next. You couldn't have said that better. Yeah, opposites attract and then spend the next however many years uh, repelling each other. And, um, I mean, you you two are different. And the respect that you just radiate toward each other, that's like a confirmed God sighting because it wasn't always that way. And uh, it's so cool to see his his work unfolding there. So um, uh, let, let me interrupt you for a sure. second there, uh, Phil, because I remember I was listening on tape to one of Tim Keller's um, Tim Keller, the the pastor of um, Redeemer in Redeemer New York, Press yeah. in in Manhattan. Yeah, so I was listening to one of his tapes, and he was talking about Genesis, and he was talking about how God did not want Adam to be alone, and so God decided that he this is a good word that he would make Adam a helpmeet, a helpmeet, and that was that was Eve. Well, the the word helpmeet, according to Tim Keller is a military phrase, which means someone who is brought in as a reinforcement that hmm. has different weapons at their disposal to the point where they can fight back to back with complementary weapons, hmm. but their weaponry is not the same. So it is a, it's a military uh, phrase. And I feel like Debbie and I, and really everybody on the planet, are we are in a battle. Uh, most of it is actually unseen, but um, it's sort of like there are two there are two circles that overlap in the middle. One is the kingdom of this world; the other is the kingdom of God. And where they overlap is that center spot, and that's where the cross comes in. At the right time, Christ died, and that's going to always be the area of conflict. Mm. So we're caught as people, Debbie and I were caught as people uh, married in that area of, in the battle zone. And we have just helped each other out. The things that I'm gifted in, uh, she needs, and the things that she's gifted in, sometimes they just drive me crazy. Her organizational ability, her strategic thinking uh and sometimes they're so irritating because they're i don't have them and they're what i need and she's got them (laughs) it's so it's so unfair and she's very willing to share them too yes yeah it's sort of like you phil when you when you preach uh your humility comes out and you should be proud of that humility (laughs) it's it's one of the qualities i'm most proud of yes my humility thank thank you for that yeah yeah, no, it's it's been it's been fun to have a pretty good seat to watch God's work in your lives, and then it's led to many conversations where Ellen will go, you know what, um, God like wants to do that same thing for us, right? And um, you know, going back to your metaphor, it's to fight back to back is is one thing. Then you're facing out toward the enemy, and where we get messed up is we'll turn around and we'll face each other. And, and, <laughs> exactly and, and right. use those same 
those same abilities um, to attack each other sometimes. And, and it's, it's always when we've lost our focus on who's the real enemy in all this. Um, that's, that's a brilliant picture you provide us today. So, you know, the, the thing about it is, though, um, you know, I try, I, I've tried to define the problem um, my whole life. Why do things not go well the way I want them to? And defining who I am, why do things fall apart? And the fact, the weird counterintuitive thing about the Christian faith is, is the need for weakness, mm. the need to understand how weak we are and how much help we actually need. And that's really, I did not, I do not want to accept weakness in my life, and I do not want to accept the need for help uh, from Debbie, of course, but then ultimately from God, because he is going to hold me up. I don't want help, but I, but I sure need it. So on that day in uh, August, eight years ago in 2012, it's pretty obvious I mean, you can catalog all the things that you lost that day. But as a result of that and what that set into motion, um, what do you think you've gained? Some of it is exactly what you're talking about, his strength being perfected in our weakness. But, but that's, that's the way the Bible says it. But what's it look like in real life day to day? Well, I guess, I guess what, I've, uh, what I've realized is that you know, with all the difficult things that we've been through and how things sort of fall apart, I've realized how God is always working behind the scenes, most of the time in ways that we don't understand at the moment. But there's this constant presence there. And finally, I'm getting it through my thick head that uh, his promises are true. Mm-hmm. Um, we if we follow him, instead of trying to lead him, if we follow him, then we can put our burdens on him and his yoke is easy. His burden is light because we have help, because I have help along the way. And I guess uh, it comes down to, where is it maybe in Hebrews, where uh, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. And it gives assurance about what we can't see. So when I get afraid and I can't see into the future, I guess I've been to that place time enough now that um, I realize that it's okay to be weak because, and to acknowledge the weakness because he is in the background helping out um, even when I don't know it. Hmm. That's beautiful. Hey, Craig, but the I weakness, want— But the weakness, Phil, has just thrown me back in, into the Scripture. And somebody asked one time, well, have you ever heard God speak audibly? And uh, Tony Zeiss, who started the Museum of the Bible in in D.C., said, well, um, all you have to do to hear God speak is to read the Bible out loud because he lives there and he's speaking to you. If you read it out loud, you not only see the pages, but you hear it with your eyes and it starts to sink in so deeply. And I, you know, I just keep getting thrown back into into scripture Mm, mm, mm. you use a term to describe your your real occupation your real vocation besides being an obgyn doc um what is what is that phrase that you use oh a minister in disguise and you know 
it, it's great in medicine because you get to meet people on, on a really deep level. Uh, usually they're afraid. Um, sometimes their fear is uh, of medical problems or danger or cancer. Uh, a lot of times their fear is unfounded. And once you're able to sort of speak to that and explain that, they, they, they're a lot better. But um, yeah, we're all ministers in disguise. It's just a matter of um, um, are we available to other people that need us? And the best way to do that is not to sh- start throwing out a bunch of answers, but to understand them. And, you know, Phil, you have a, you have a high level uh, profile, you know, for your ministry, but I would say even the, um, there was a stonemason that came to our house years and years ago to help with a wall. And, um, uh, I asked him about himself and he said, well, the best way to describe me is, um, uh, Men are impressed by the speed and the strength of a horse, but the Lord is impressed by those who love him. And I'll never forget that here's a regular stonemason guy, and I just started asking questions about himself. And he, once I asked, he got to the bedrock of his whole life. Hmm. Hmm. God is not impressed by the speed of a horse, strength of a horse. He's impressed by those who are humble and love him. So I think as we all are in disguise, um, but uh, we all we all have an opportunity, and sometimes they all we need to do is just be available, and God will use us at the right time, and He'll give us a if we're in if we live in Scripture, then um, you know a verse might come up that's appropriate, like uh, uh, an older woman uh, that I ran into the other day that does gardening. She's got. Really, really gray hair. I know she's a believer, and I, in the verse uh, from, let's see, where is it? Oh, I think it's Psalm uh, 71 says, Even when I'm old and gray, O Lord, don't abandon me mm. until I've de- declared your strength to the next generation and your power to those who are yet to come. So he will give us the words that we need, and sometimes the best words are none, are, are no words at all. Just listen. Mm. Hey, People Craig, will be more open then. Craig, last week after um, Ellen and I said goodbye to you and Deb and we're, we're driving away, I, uh, I just kind of shook my head and, and said, man, it's just I love being with them. And, and um, <laughs> Ellen said something effect about you. I think these aren't her exact words, but it's real close. She's like, everybody ought to ought to be allowed to be treated by a doctor like Craig once in their life. Oh, that's so cool. Isn't that cool? And, you know, as Oh, that's really nice. It is. And it's, it's true. And of course I can blaspheme any high and holy moment. And I pointed out that I didn't have the qualifications to be treated by you as a doctor in your current specialty. And um, she just kind of rolled her eyes at my inappropriate humor. And I said, but, but I said, my version of that is everybody ought to be blessed to have a friend like Craig mm. and Deb once in their life. And uh, oh, that's really nice. Thank you so I much. Think, Go uh, ahead. No, I just think it's, it's so rare to have people that come along. And I, hopefully I'm like this where 
you know, you ask questions, you listen to people, and then you can respond in the way that's, you know, best for them. I mean, when I, it was so cool to deliver a baby and ask the parents, uh, can I, you know, the baby's in the mother's arms, they're crying, and then I say, can I say a prayer for your, for your new child? And I think only twice in 30 years did the parents say no. Wow. But to, but to say that prayer, like, I would just say something like, Lord, how can we ever thank you enough for this precious life, um, the, the miraculous way that you've created this embryo who is now in their arms? Please give them wisdom as parents, and we pray that you would bless, protect, nourish them and their whole family in your holy name. Mm. I mean, what a, what a wonderful entree. But it's just being a minister in disguise, and I didn't, you know, force anything down their throats. But, gosh, we have such opportunities, and lots of times they just come out of willingness to be quiet and get to know people. Hmm. That's right. Well, Craig, whenever we um, get together with somebody on Step Into the Story, we're looking for exactly what you've described, how your story was intersected by God's story. And, you know, certainly he's been a huge part of your life for a long time. But the last eight years, it's deeper. It's, it's richer. And uh, you may think that your career has been limited by him, and your check each month may reflect that. But, but I'm telling you, um, your real calling, which is to be that minister in disguise, um, mm that is just beginning to peak even now. And uh, no, you're really encouraging. Thank you for sharing part of your story with all of us today. And um, just not keep doing what you're doing, but keep being you, will you, my friend? <laughs> all right, I will. Thank you so much, Phil. It's great to be with you. Well, you know, each time that we get together, this is exactly what we're after. You heard Craig say it so clearly that that when the hard times hit there was that reservoir of scripture that he had taken in and you know so many times it's hard to pray because we feel like well if it's your will lord and i don't know what to pray for and the beautiful part about praying scripture back to god is if it's in his word we already know it's his will or it wouldn't be in there he has spoken like craig said and I want to add my endorsement to Ken Boa's um, book about praying scripture back to God. And uh, we'll, we'll put that exact correct title in our show notes so you can check that out. Um, but thank you for joining us for this episode of, of Step Into the Story. If this has impacted you, email me, if you would, at phil at walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U.org. And um, share this with your friends. If you have friends who are somewhere in the midst of that struggle Craig described, um, they'll listen to him um, in many cases more than they would um, from me or, or their pastor. So share this with those that you care about. And we'll see you on the next installment of Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. 
That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world 